This is getting better and better. Get some recipes. Look at that. Yes, sir. You haven't peaked yet. Mmm, I just can't, mm, I just can't wait. That's a lesson that games are not played on paper. No. But they're played on the field. I told you guys, I told you. I told you. Welcome to Evolve, a lifestyle brand that disrupts conventional thinking and challenges you to evolve your soul, evolve your body, evolve your mind, and evolve your tribe. And now, it's time to disrupt. You have value, and you are not alone. When I close my eyes, I can see a whole different world. Wow, yeah. that's what I want to do, man. That's a great looking uh, painting behind you. What do you have there? Thank you. Um, so this is my, um, it's a commission that I just started yesterday and um, I blocked in the whole, you know, composition, just a tonal underpainting, in, you know, grisaille. Brunei, I don't know. I've been corrected on Instagram before because I apparently it's the grisaille is black and white and it's brown. So I don't really know. All I know is that it's monochromatic and it's how I start most of my paintings because the like the design and the you know comp the um, value are pretty much what determines the success of a painting. So that is my next project. That's beautiful. Thank you. As, we would, Thank you. as we would say from the streets, it's fucking gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> as we would say from the streets. From What's the amazing streets. that that's the underpainting and no one's going to see that. They're just going to see the end result. I would buy that. I'd buy the underpainting. I know, right? That's my just gorgeous. Every time I make one of these, my husband's like, can you please just leave it like that for once? Um, people would buy it like that. And then I post it on Instagram and I usually get comments where I'm like, that looks perfect the way it is. Um, you know, I think at some point I will do one just um, and just leave it as is. But for this, it's, it's a commission. So I have a whole color scheme and um, yeah. It was, it's probably That's beautiful. the best kind of job to have is because I'm not a huge fan of commissions. I mean, I think, you know, painting somebody else's photograph, somebody else's vision doesn't usually work out. For me, I don't get excited about it. But in this case, um, I had a customer message, you know, email me. And, um, you know, he wanted to buy a painting that was sold already. And, you know, and then, you know, then he found another one that he likes and then that just it sold so he was like so i suggested i could do a commission that was not exact but based on some of the paintings that he likes he picked up some paintings so anyway i have a lot mm. of creative freedom and i also get to revisit some of my favorite paintings that i've created um i absolutely love doing backlighting so um i mean honestly i'm just i feel like so grateful to get paid to paint like you know just do what i love so it's yeah, interesting you said you're like commissions I, I felt like this. There's a there's a famous Woody Allen joke. I'm gonna brutalize it, but um, he gets a phone call from a, a vodka company, and they said we want you to do uh, uh, some ad, you know some ads for us. We're selling our vodka. And he goes, and Woody Allen says, um, I don't do ads. I don't pander, and I don't like your vodka, so uh, I'm not gonna do it. And the guy goes, Well, it pays fifty thousand dollars. He goes, Hold on, I'll get Mr. Allen. <laughs> 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 uh, that's great. Well, one of these days, Hillary, I got to commission you to just do a an underpainting for me, and I'll buy that. That's amazing. 
I would love to. I, this is my favorite part of the process. Who never knew? I never thought I would love to paint in brown. I'm, I love color. So I'm like, how I never would have expected that I would love this face so much that I would just, that this alone is part, you know, part of the process. Yeah. It's not like just a destination. It's like, I love actually making these. So anytime, yeah. just, you know where to find me. <laughs> That's right. We do know where to find you now. We're, we're actually really fortunate to have you coming back on today. Now, our listeners will be listening to you for the first time, but this is take two because we lost the first episode uh, through some sort of corruption. I have no idea. I went to pull it up one day and it was a garbled mess uh, once uh, we, we started to go through and edit everything. Um, and so you were kind enough to jump back on and, and uh, join us again. So uh, while our listeners will be hearing you for the first time, we're fortunate to have you back on uh, for our second time. But we do want to make fun of ourselves for uh, losing uh, somehow that first episode. Steve, Steve has such a beautiful way of saying he fucked up the, the, the previous interview. <laughs> it's been so, he's, got that, he's got that deep voice. And he's like, so some technical day. Like, you screwed it up. Just say it. Lucky I like talking well, so much because I agree to come and do it again. So um, yes, yeah. Well, thank you. Know, you. It was really fun. So yeah, let's do it. We had a great time. It's just a party take two, right? It is. I, I'm, <laughs> honestly, I love talking art. Anytime I, um, you know, any opportunity to just talk art, I'm gonna take it. So that's great. Well, and uh, you know what. One of the things, Hillary, as you know, we like to uh, kick our episode off by asking kind of a kickoff question. And uh, the one that we asked you before, I want to stick with that. What is making you laugh today? What What are you finding funny? What are you finding enjoyable, uh, delightful? What's making Hillary Scott laugh? Well, I'm going to answer the same question that I did, or the same answer um, that I gave you last time. I We love stand-up comedy, some of the best comics out there, you know, and we've watched these multiple times. They're just they, you know, stand the test of time. And um, we love Dave Chappelle, his most recent stand-up. Mm -hmm. We love Bill Burr. Um, Louis C.K. hasn't had anything for a while, but we, we like him. You know, <laughs> He got canceled for a while, but he is still he hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's actually trying. I read he's he's writing and he's, he's coming gonna back. Actually, he's going to come back and he's going to, you know, put some stuff out there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I think his canceling was just really absurd. Just really That's absurd. Ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. But, um, and I'm, I'm a fan, you know, I'm not, not, that's not going to change. You know, what he chooses to do in his personal life um, does not change the fact that he's hysterical. And, uh, you know, not a lot of fans to me anyway, which is why I like these comics. I mean, there are people that probably don't like some of the jokes, but for me, it takes a lot to offend me. And I think a lot, everything's fair game with these comics. So, um, yeah, so we, we, you know, and then the other, we, we love shit Street, you know, we watch, we love some <laughs> around, so we watch, we watch it again, it's still just as funny as it was the first time, so I do like to laugh, so. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Chappelle's show is one of my favorite all-time shows, but I love his new uh, comedy special. Part of what I love about it is the fact that he just truly tackles so many different issues that people get offended about, and he leans right into it. He's hilarious. Yeah, it is. It's hysterical. Now you're I'm the same way. There's hard. It's a hard thing to, to offend me, right? What? I'm sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I just said, now you're inspiring me to watch it tonight. Like put one of these on again because you know they're just that good yeah yeah i can watch i'm actually i, I started i think when we recorded last time hillary i had started Chappelle's show again 
Miles and I were talking about something. He mentioned something, and it got me going on Chappelle Show again. And so I've, I've been watching the Chappelle Show all the way through ever since that time. I, I'm a huge fan of stand-up I used to do stand-up comedy. I wasn't good at it, but I did it for about five years. Well, we could have told and, and, you that. <laughs> and, and, and my brother is pretty successful at it now. He uh, travels with Gabriel Iglesias all around the world pretty much and they're back on the road but i've always been a big fan of stand-ups i think i was listening to joe rogan and jamie fox one day and they were just talking about the way society is right now stand-up comics are like our wise people yes and, and so when yeah. you get a really when you get a really good one that knows how to be like really vulnerable about where he or she stands on the issues and 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 it's like that argument where or when you're watching a television show, when you when you look at a character, two different characters, and you know they're both right, even though they're antagonists, but they're both right, and that's what makes it compelling. And Chappelle is just super vulnerable, and he talks about his ignorance, and he talks about our ignorance, and I I am madly in love with Dave fucking Chappelle. Same here. I honestly I feel like that is going to be the most nerve wracking career path like to stand up in front of a group of people and make jokes and not know whether they're gonna you know laugh it's it, to me i'm just nervous for them but i mean those are the best <laughs> those are yeah it's i can't i love how you say i'm nervous for them that's great i'm like i could not do that you know so yeah my it. first time i walked off stage what? i literally walked off, the first time i did it i literally walked off stage i was standing there and i was telling this story and I, I couldn't hear anything. Like, I, there was no laugh, there's nothing. And I literally said on the mic, I can't do this. And I walked off stage, and this woman came over to me who worked there, and she told me, she said, always finish your act. She just said, just finish. And she said, nobody was laughing because you were telling the story and you hadn't got to the punchline and you got nervous before the punchline and walked off. <laughs> so it, it is, it's tough. It's tough, but when it works, it really, really works. There's, yeah. there, to me, Always there's no better high. Sure. Always finish your <laughs> Always finish the story. And that's why Hillary always finishes her paintings. Painting. Well, with that, folks, <laughs> <laughs> with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Uh, a man who wanted to be the next Banksy, but uh, forgot to buy the scans. Our resident in look himself uh, in Overland, Ohio, is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Hello, everybody. Hillary Scott, <laughs> welcome back. So nice to meet you again. Yeah. <laughs> and in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. We are so fortunate to have Hillary joining us again. Now, Hillary Scott is an academically trained landscape painter from the Northeast in Massachusetts. Uh, she entered BFA in UMass, uh, excuse me, Lowell L in 2002 in children's book illustration. She illustrated many books for many years and before making the transition to landscape painting in 2014. Hillary has an affinity for marshes, seas, and skies and finds endless inspiration in the beautiful New England landscape. She has studied with contemporary artists like Karen Black, uh, Wood and Sean Beavers, in addition to workshops and other local or artists. Since she began exhibiting her oil paintings a few years ago, she has been accepted into numerous juried shows and won several awards. Her landscape paintings are in private collections worldwide, 
and Hillary is a member of the Oil Painters of America and Master Artist member of Newburyport Art Association. Hillary says that as a former illustrator, my technique and goals have evolved. I've long admired painters like Maxfield Parrish, who successfully created a perfect, uh, excuse me, a perfectly balanced be, or perfect balance between realism and fantasy. Thus, the purely magical scenes I once painted have been incorporated into realist image, images sourced by from plain air studies, photos, visits, memories, and imagination. In my latest series of paintings, I strive to capture the fleeting moments of morning and evening light. I'm fascinated by the effect of light on landscapes and attempt to convey a sense of space, season, serenity, and nostalgia. My compositions are designed to evoke emotional reaction from the viewer. I consider a visceral response from my audience an important measure of success for a painter. Though I consider myself a realist, the minute details of a, of a place are secondary to the mood and lighting they capture. And Hillary, I would agree. I think that while you are a phenomenal detailed painter, every single time I see your work, it evokes massive emotion. In fact, I think I sent something to you the other day with some sort of, uh, it was a photo that you had taken on a run. Is that correct? Was it the fog? Was it? Yes, the fog. Different? So no, it wasn't a run. It was just like, I was somewhere with my daughter and, um, and you know, it was super foggy. So I was like, I took advantage of it and I took the scenic route home and I just decided I needed to see some of my favorite locations that I paint with like, you know, vibrant light, which this is going to be one of them. And I wanted to see the same um, scene in fog, in a very thick fog. So I drove by it. I wasn't disappointed. And, um, and I will, that will be my next thing after, you know, this commission, I want to, explore that subject, you know, in the dreary fog, and which is a little, um, it's a little different as a challenge because I'm so used to painting light and, you know, to be able to achieve that mood in just like, you know, just the, um, you know, atmosphere, just, but without any light, it's, it's always a challenge. So that's what I want to do. But you do create this amazing mood to everything that you paint and it really evokes this emotion. Uh, every single time. So um, now before we get too deep into this, I want to go back because some of, when we let our listeners know that you were coming on, uh, we had a few people that were really excited to ask you some questions. So I want to back up just a little bit before we go into the mood piece. And I want to start with some questions that we received from some of our listeners and some of your followers. Um, so the first one was, what is your painting surface and how do you prepare it? So my painting surface is I use the Claussen's Double Oil Prime Linen, Linen Number 15, and I order it. I used to make my own panels, but it just turned. It was just kind of, you know, not very efficient. You know, I get air bubbles in them. It was just a lot of work, and you know, ultimately, just for the cost of you know my time, I just figured it's just easier for me to order them. So I get them from Raymar, and I get them in all different sizes, and um, I don't do anything. I just I get them in the mail, and I. I don't prepare them. I just paint. <laughs> I love that. I love how you said that. I don't do anything. Yeah. Sometimes I, the best thing is to not do anything. Exactly. I mean, I just put all the energy into the painting itself. And, you know, I used to use canvases. I used to use, you know, and sometimes I use ampersand. I, I do like those panels. They're gesso board panels. So, mm -hmm. yep. some of work, sometimes I would use those. But um, 
honestly, you know, when you're spoiled with the top quality materials, you really can't go back. So I can't tell you the last time I painted on canvas. You know, there's nothing wrong with canvas. It's just for me, I like the way this takes the paint. It's, um, it just has a little bite to it. It just is, I don't know. For me also, you know, the materials is, this is just about as much, you know, about the process as it is the final result. So I just like to have really good materials to work with and it just makes the whole thing very fun and, you know, easier. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's an important thing with art is you, uh, like you mentioned before, composition, lighting, all of those things play uh, a big part of creating a beautiful piece of art. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that your tools, your resources, the, um, you know, the paint, the boards, the canvas, whatever it is that you're using, those make a big difference in, in the end result. And life is much the same way. So the tools and the resources that we use that make a massive difference in the end result. They really do. Um, and the advice that was given to me through, you know, I don't know, it was a workshop a while ago, is just try to buy the most expensive materials that you can afford. Um, you know, it's just going to be better. I just think it's quality of the final result is just going to be better. And that's even, I'm starting to even up my game with the frames. You know, it's, it's just mm. be so expensive. But I did use a Masterworks frame for the first time in a painting just earlier this year. It was expensive as hell, but it really, it was like the tuxedo for the painting. You know, it like really elevated. <laughs> that's a great description. It was, you, you can't underestimate the you know, impact of a great frame. It was like gold leaf. I mean, I don't always, I mean, right now they're not like super cheap frames, but they're not masterworks frames. So, so that's my next thing is now I'm going to have to start getting better frames. And that's there you go. That's why Miles wears gold leaf t-shirts to make himself <laughs> look even better. All right. So our second, second uh, question that we got from our listeners and followers is, do you paint large format or small format paintings and why? answer to that is I do all of the above and there's different purposes for them so with the small paintings I you know first of all I don't do a large painting until I've tried it out small because if it doesn't work small it ain't gonna work large and I've learned that the hard way many times where I like forged ahead and I was like oh I have this big idea well guess what it, you have to practice you have to like figure it out on a small scale so I do that I make a study just a color study to just kind of try out you know, even just different compositions because it's just way easier to like figure all those things out first before you do your final draft. You know, you invest all this time and money, you know, the materials are more expensive when they're larger. So, so I make them small and I, you know, if, they, if I love it small and I'm like, this really, you know, works, there's a lot of impact in the large painting. So then I will go ahead and make a large painting. So the other part of that is, is that, you know, when it comes to selling paintings, the market for buying smaller works is is much more broad than you know people that buy large paintings. But I do have a market for those, and you know I have customers that want they have wall space, they want a large painting. And I also would say I'm not that concerned about the sales as much um, because for the large paintings, I'm not like worried. Oh, it's not going to sell. Like if I this is a journey for me. This is a personal journey. So if I wanted to explore a subject on a large scale, I'm going to do it. And, you know, and if I, 
if I love the painting, I mean, I don't care if I hold on to it for like a year, two years. Sometimes these things take years to sell. And so mm. it's not like I'm worried, like, oh, I shouldn't make this painting because it's not, it's going to be too expensive and I don't know if I'm going to sell it. That's not how I think. So, um, but I do sell a lot of small works. What so, a great perspective about life though. You know, as we talk about the Evolve podcast, we, we really believe in personal evolution and growth, whether it's a creative process in painting or a creative process in life. I love what you're saying that you start small and you really work out a lot of the details and that oftentimes the small paintings, like small steps in our life, become easier for people to digest. And that's okay if a painting that's larger sits there for a period of time. You know it's a great piece of work. You don't question the fact that it's a great piece of work. Eventually it will sell. And uh, big ideas in life happen the same way. So what a, what a beautiful analogy. Um, so great, great parallel there. Uh, Hillary, one of the last questions we got was from our uh, quite, excuse me, from our followers and uh, listeners, how do you find inspiration to paint and what do you do when you have an artist block? So I, let's start with the inspiration piece. So I find inspiration everywhere in the most unexpected times, places pretty much, you know, I don't, a lot of times I don't go out looking for it. Like I don't get in my car and I'm going to find inspiration today. It's because I mean, I'm also a runner. Like, I like to be outside for a portion of any day. So, you know, I like to I do walks, hikes, I go running. I just, I like to work out outside. And that's when I get, I feel like the most creative. Um, you know, that's just like my outlet. And so when I'm out, it kind of coincides with like creative inspiration because, you know, I'll see things while I'm running. Sometimes I'll bring my phone with me. Um, I don't always bring it, but if I, you know, I'm up early and I can see that there might be a nice sunrise, I will bring it and I will take photos. So it's like multitasking, you know, at its finest because <laughs> I'm getting my work <laughs> and I'm getting, you know, my work done. When I come back here, I'll, you know, look through the photos, but, um, and, and a lot of the inspiration is just when I'm driving my kids around, you know, they get basketball practice, they go to school. And I, whenever I'm driving, I'm kind of like, I'm always looking at the sky. I just noticed my surroundings. I found so many locations that I've painted just by driving my kids around. And they get really upset because like, I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm going to stop. I got to pull over. I have to get a photo of this. So if, <laughs> in advance, if you're late to anything, it's because I'm trying to get a photo. <laughs> and seriously, some of my best paintings have come from just this in passing, like just finding inspiration in passing. So, um, you know, but it's nature. It's always nature. I don't, you know skies a lot of skies water marshes just farms like it's just i seriously find inspiration everywhere i see paintings everywhere and when i'm not painting i'm still painting in my head i'm still like running and i'm like looking just this morning okay so this morning i went for a run and it was it's like a heat wave right now so it wasn't the best run but you know just the lighting it was super hazy so i'm just like always putting information on my hard drive like so to speak you know, I'm looking, I'm just like trying to just figure out what are the values in this lighting situation and what, what is going on with these leaves when the sun is in this position. So, I mean, it's always like, I'm just always painting, even when I'm not. I, I one of the things I love about what you're talking about is that, you know, cause I, th I imagine if another parent is driving their kids around, taking them from place to place, or maybe if somebody is working out because working out is not necessarily a positive thing for a lot of people. It's something that they feel like they have to do. 
you're not only doing that thing, you're not only taking the kids around and engaging in family uh, activities, you're not only working out, but you are it making these moments of inspiration. And what a great lesson for people that wherever you are, you have, if you're open and you're aware and you're awake to your surroundings, you can find inspiration literally anywhere. Now, I should probably not admit this, but I mean, it's the truth is that there's a lot of times where I should probably be watching the road better when there's like an awesome, (laughs) like, this is is borderline unsafe. Um, But, you know, I've never been in an accident, knock on wood, and I'm pretty safe. So it's just literally like, I, I can't tell you, there are paintings everywhere. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be like you have to go to this perfect little spot and it has to be sunset and these great colors. Like, I mean, I think, you know, to see the beauty in all sorts of different, you know, situations, you know, whether it's foggy or it's, you know, overcast or it's even the dead of winter. It's just, I just think, you know, to see the beauty in all different times of year, times of day is, it's taken me a while to get here because before it was like, it, you know, I had to. I had the scene in my head and if I didn't see it outside and it didn't match my, you know, imagined inspiration, then I didn't know what to paint. So, um, which I guess brings us to the next point, which is about artist block. And, you know, I do sometimes get that. Like, I mean, I'll have, it ebbs and flows. Like inspiration is not like constant. Like you always are, you know, you have so much painting, so many ideas that you, can't even keep up. There are times, and usually it is in the dead of winter, or it's a time where I've like injured or something and like I can't get out for a run or a walk. Like if I can't get outside, um, I had foot surgery, for example, a couple of years ago. And I find that when I get these into artist block, it's times where like I can't, I'm not mobile and I can't get out to see nature. And it's really hard. So I don't really, I'm not inspired because, you know, my art imitates life. So when I'm not out in nature, I, I really have a hard time. And I have a hard time painting other people's photos. So it's not like I can just go find someone else's photo. Like I need to see it for authenticity. Um, but as far as artist block goes, it used to freak me out. I used to say, oh shit, this is it. I'm like, I have nothing to paint. I'm, you know, it's over. But I don't do that You're anymore. It's happened enough times where you just have to, you know, it's going to end. It does end eventually. My fix for that is, you know, sometimes the weather doesn't allow this, but I mean, to go out and plan our paint, just paint from life, you know, um, or, you know, just somehow get out into nature, just something just to get some inspiration from life. Not, not from like your computer screen, not from somebody else's photos, but you know, I just kind of don't freak out about it anymore. I just so wait a minute. You don't just sit there and scroll Instagram and get great inspiration from somebody else's life. You actually go out and experience life. Well, I do get inspiration from other people's art. I um, I love <laughs> I love following artists on Instagram, and I you know I get inspired by it. But yeah, ultimately I go out and I find my own material to paint and to photograph, and that's you know I it always ends. I mean, I always find something. I will go through my photos. I'll just paint something that kind of I put on the back burner because it wasn't like the best thing, but it's just, I'm always painting, you know, I'm always, I just think that just by doing it, you do work through the artist block and inspiration does come back. Let me ask both of you guys, because you both paint. Um, I play music. Well, wait, um, wait a minute. We both yeah. paint. One of us paints yeah. really well. One of us paints very sporadically. Let's be clear about that. 
did you just say sheeps paints sporadically and you paint well? Did you? Is that what you're implying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, I think it's impressive. I mean, I know you're busy. People have jobs. People have stuff to do. It's just just do it whenever you can. It doesn't. I think it's impressive that you just make the time to do it at all. Some people yeah. like Hillary. Hillary, Steve is fishing. He wants you to tell him he's good. He's fishing. No, he's got a no, big piece of meat on a hook. He threw it in the water. <laughs> Don't take the bait. At hey, all. I know the I know what I've got when it comes to my paintings, and they are. That's the problem. That's point. the problem. You know what you've got, but I, you know, when I was at your house and you would pull out some paintings, I thought they were pretty fucking awesome. And you know, I, I think I think an artist needs to balance between. I mean, you have your ideals. Hey, look, I already told you, I'm only paying twenty dollars per compliment. Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Are you gonna let me finish? Are you gonna let me finish? <laughs> I think that an artist has tremendous ideals and ethics of what they want to put out. But once it's out there, once it's out there, there's a part of your ego, not you personally, but that you have to let go because. People like me, who are not painters, but who appreciate looking at work, come with my own interpretations, my own sensibilities. So I can sit there and look at your art and say, this is stunning. And in your mind, you're going, this is a piece of crap. And I think artists need to let that part go because there's a whole other perspective looking at your art, which is me. I Just like when I make a song, I've made many a songs with people where people will say, that is absolutely beautiful. And I think in my mind, because I've learned to let it go, this is crap, I didn't like it, but another person is watching and they appreciate it. And I think there's a fine line of balance, especially once the art is out. The minute you put it out in the world, you can, I don't, I think it's unfair for an artist to tell a, a, a just a person who's appreciating the art that their art sucks. Yeah. Like if I was looking, oh, I'm go ahead. So, I'm so critical of my work, um, especially my old work. So before I switched to landscapes, I was like, I, I mean, I make shitty paintings all the time. You just don't see them because I throw them in the trash or, you know, <laughs> I just don't post them. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, before, I'm super critical of my work before I switched to the landscapes. And even some of the earlier landscapes, they were pretty, you know, they, they're not things I'm proud of. They were part of the journey. Um, but yeah, my husband, Sometimes I'll throw paintings in the trash and now, you know, I've learned I should probably, you know, wipe them down or like burn them because my husband pulled a painting out of the trash <laughs> and he gave it to someone and it's a painting that like just wasn't done. It just wasn't working. I just, I don't know. I just, my name is on it. And so the woman loves it. She loves it. And he brought me over to her house and showed me in her bathroom and it's hanging there and I'm like cringing. I'm like, Oh my God, like this just isn't a representation of what I'm capable of. Um, but she loves the painting and I just, it's hard. I have, I have to try to get, you know, comfortable with the idea that there are paintings out there that I don't love that other people do. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's tough because I think the criticism of my work is ultimately how I've gotten better anyway, because I'm super like, you know, my taste is very, you know, high quality. Like I have, I want, to stop short of nothing than like mastery. Like I want to master what I'm doing. Mm. And I, I do, I've always yeah. had a great taste in art. You know, I'm not just okay with mediocrity. And you know, that's it's a double-edged sword because now I'm just like never happy with anything I do. But at the same time, it helps me get better. So. 
Now I can, I can totally relate to that when you're talking about that you get upset when you see certain things. And I love that you talked about that your husband pulled something out of the garbage. I literally had a garbage bag full of paintings one day. And a few days later, I went down to my kids' bedrooms and here are multiple paintings hanging on their wall. And, you know, I, I want to be a good dad, right? Like anybody, I want to be a good dad. I want to I want to teach, I want to love, I want to, you know, all of those things that a good dad does. But I was feeling angry. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I asked him, what are, you, what are you doing with this? I threw that away. And my daughter looked at me and she goes, dad, I loved that painting. I can't believe that was in the garbage. And so I took it. And then I went to Johnny and then I went to Carly. And then, and so all three of my kids had paintings. And so I went to the next room and the next room and they had paintings hanging up. And I looked at it and I thought, that is the, that is the worst piece of shit I've ever created. And my daughter says, no, I love that. Oh, I love this. And it's, I think to Miles' point, once a painting is created, James Taylor talked about this in a recent audio book that he did for Audible, that once you create a piece of art and you put it out there, you no longer own it. And I think that when I heard that, it totally changed the way I thought about my art. Now, granted, I still hate a lot of my paintings because like you, Hillary, I've got very high standards. And I think to myself, I am not even close to where I want to be. So I guess my question to you is, you know, riffing off of what Miles was talking about, how do you deal with that constant criticism that's in the mind? Because I've got that and I, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do with that constant critic. Well, before you before you answer it, before you answer it, I just want to make one point before you answer it. Maybe this point I make might shed some light on this. There are seven to 10 billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. That's seven to 10 billion different temperaments personalities. And I think I'm going to say this. I, I think it's tremendously egotistical for you guys to say you have these great standards. And, and then so it's almost as if you're saying everybody should have this standard to appreciate my art. So when you create a great work, everybody goes, that is a great work. And when you create shit work, everybody goes, it's shit work. There's seven to 10 billion sensibilities out there. And at some point you have to let go. Yeah, but we're right, that's aren't it. we, Hillary? Aren't we? No, you're not. <laughs> Come on, Hillary, back me up here. You and I are right, aren't we? Yeah, we're right. Um, so the Don't you. run from the truth, Hillary. <laughs> no, okay, so I, hey, you I, lost. Uh, Hillary's with me, you're done. Uh, <laughs> um, one of the things that helped me be like just to kind of see it in perspective is that, um, you know, I do look at old work and, you know, I'm critical of the old work, but then I look at the old work and I think I really have come far, you know, just even a few years ago, if I look at the mm -hmm. work um, and I compare it to the work I'm doing now, it's, you know, this is just, it's a lifelong endeavor. This is not, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I mean, right. I've been at this for the landscapes where I started doing them about six years ago, I think. It was six years ago, I switched from illustration to landscape, and that is like a drop in the bucket in an art career. That's nothing. So, I mean, yeah. for me to go from, like, I had, like, no sales. Like, I, I mean, just, like, a three, four years ago, like, I, you know, I was a couple of years into the landscapes, had sold nothing. It was pretty discouraging, you know. There was just... There was a certain threshold though that I crossed that I think my work became more competent. You know, it's definitely not where I want it to be, you know, eventually. But I mean, I think it was, 
it was okay. I mean, people were buying it. So obviously it couldn't be that bad if people were spending the money on it. But yeah, I do look at the old work and I compare it to my work that I'm doing now and there's huge improvement. So. Well, one of the things I understand, you know, um, I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was when Madonna turned 50 and they asked Mm -hmm. Madonna about her previous work and she said she thought it all sucked. And there's something about that. There's a little slice of that, a sliver that I understand. And and that is growth. You know, if I look back at the things I did when I was 20, um, you know, I would have hit that kid in the head with a bat. Like, why would you do that? That's pretty fucking stupid. And I can see as an artist, you know, when you're creating work when you're younger. So there is the growth and then the looking back on it, um, even though I think you should look back at it as this is where you are evolving and looking at the process. But I, I, I can get the growth part where you turn into one type of human being who's vastly different from the other type of being human being you were 10, 15, 20 years ago, the constant state of evolution and growth. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, well, no. let's talk evolution. I mean, Hillary, I know you've, you've evolved. You, uh, you were an illustrator at one point, right? And, and I think one of the things that you hang your hat on and you've been very proud of is the fact that you've been fired from multiple jobs. Is that right? I am proud of that fact. It's not something I'm <laughs> you know, writing rights for, but I, I do. And it's because it's just been every one of those jobs has been a part of this journey has contributed to where I am now. It's just been, you know, it just lit a fire under my ass. Like every time I had a shitty job and I've had a lot of them starting at, you know, when I was 12, when I first started working. Um, and then, you know, I've worked at every job you can imagine, like mall jobs, you know, I've worked food, you know, I was a waitress. I worked in the food court. Um, I nannied, I, you know, I used to teach piano lessons because I played piano for a very long time. And, um, you know, that job was not bad. I liked that job. But, you know, then I was a teacher for high school students because I, you know, my degree was in Bachelor of Fine Arts. And so by default, I'm like, you come out of there, you're not, you're not going to make money as an artist right out of the gate most, most of the time. Um, but I think I took a really long detour after that. Um, I had been fired from a couple of those jobs. And, the, and, and I will speak to the reason I was fired wasn't anything, you know, scandalous. It was nothing, you know, crazy where I did something horrible. <laughs> like, I didn't give a shit, you know? And I did the job to the most basic standard. Like, it was just like, you know, the most, I did the lowest expectations, you know, and I still did it. But for me, I just, what was missing was passion. And I think that to do, you know, the best work that you can and to, to love, you know, you have to have passion for what you're doing. So let me talk about the detour that I took that really led me to where I am now is that um, a few years ago, oh, it was, at this point, it was like, it was actually 13 years ago. Time just flies. Um, wow. I fired from <laughs> a few, just a few. I fired from both of my teaching jobs, not fired as much as it, it was just laid off. Like I got the pink slip once again, so many times. It's like, well, you're not getting rehired. We're not rehiring you for next year. So then at this point I had, I was pregnant with my son. So it was like, I can't apply for a new teaching job at this time. So I just took a little break. And then there was a lot of pressure on me to find a new career path. And, you know, I was doing some little, like, I was doing some illustration stuff, but it wasn't paid work. It was just my own things that I like to paint just for fun. And I I didn't have a skill level that was, you know, up to par to compete in the market for illustration. So so it was just like, there was a lot of pressure on me and the family is like, well, what are you going to do? This is a real job. Like you need something that's, you know, 
just going to give you a steady paycheck, something that's dependable, you know, that's recession proof. And so because I'm into health and fitness, it just turned into, well, I'll go to school for as a physical therapist assistant. You know, it's mm. about like working out exercise. You can teach exercises to people working in an outpatient clinic with athletes. And, you know, on paper, it looked like a pretty good deal because you can do it part time. So it was like, well, I can do art on the side and I can do this. So the whole time I was just kind of, you know, I wasn't really that excited about it, but I could just see the value of it. Like, you know, I'll make everyone happy. I'll make some money so that I can at least buy myself time to work. And um, mm-hmm. I went through the whole program and it just didn't feel right to me. Like I just, it just didn't feel like that's what I was meant to do. Um, I just, you know, felt like I just talked myself into it. And I don't think that you should have to do that for, you know, some you know, like real career passion for you, you should have to, you know, you should have to talk yourself out of it. Like for me, I, I don't know, like I have to, I love art so much that it's like, I can't imagine doing anything else. So I, you know, I did that. And I think there was, this is where running, I'm like, my running is just so, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, I have these moments where I just see this clarity, moments of clarity when I'm running. And it was during, I finished the program and I was just like running and I was looking at nature and all this. And I was like, this just, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know. We had, I have a couple close friends that don't, they didn't major in anything creative. They just, I don't know what they majored in, but they're doing a creative career and they're making a lot of money doing it. And I'm like, I have so much passion for this art. I'm good at it. And I just don't know if they can do it. Why can't I do it? Why do I have to be doing this soul crushing job when other people have figured it out? It's not easy, but neither was this program and neither is going showing up every day at a job that you hate. That's not easy either. So, you know, choose your heart. Like, is it going to be hard to like forge a path for what you're passionate about? Or are you going to show up at a job where you just, you, you're counting down the weeks, the years um, until you can retire. So that point, um, and I did, by the way, get fired from my PTA job. I got laid off. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, and at that point, I was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I've got to figure this out. And, you know, it, I didn't go right into making art, but I did kind of ease my way back into the creative world by, I taught some classes, art classes to children, my kids' age. At the time, they were like in, I don't know second and fourth grade, something like that. So I did, I had kids in my house, I was teaching and I made some money doing that. And then I started using my illustration skills to get jobs on like on a um, Upwork. It was, it was a website where you bid on jobs. And, you know, I didn't go through the publishing houses, but I was just trying to make a little bit of money just to, to prove to myself that I could use my skill set that I had to make some money. And so I did. I started getting bites on those jobs and I was doing, you know, I did a few books, private clients for just self-published books. And, you know, that's what I did for a few years. And then there was another turning point. And it was, you know, it was, I started to look at other art. I was, I joined the Newburyport Art Association and I started exhibiting my, you know, my, some of my paintings that were of my children because I was painting my kids and like landscapes. And honestly, my skill level at that point was, it was starting to plateau. It was, you know, I as as a as a landscape painter or, or no, what? I hadn't switched to the landscapes yet, but what I was doing okay. 
it used to be I was strictly an illustrator. I guess this okay. was the evolution where I was kind of easing into landscapes by painting portraits like children, like figures. But they mm, weren't okay. what I wanted, what I would describe as like what I thought were realist landscapes. But now looking at them, they were totally not realist. They were fantasy mm. landscapes because that's all I knew how to paint. But I, what I wanted to do was to start getting into the more realism and just trying to kind of branch out a little bit. So, so I would just paint my kids in landscapes, you know, some of them were a little fantasy, like fireflies. And, and I started to, and I was just doing these for myself at the point. It wasn't like I was, they're not illustration jobs. It was just my private work that I was doing. And, mm -hmm. um, and I joined the New Freeport Art Association and I started entering the shows there with these paintings. And I was getting rejected from the juried shows. And I didn't know why at the time, but obviously I know now why um they were just not up to standard you know it was i had a lot to learn because the last time i had gotten instruction was in college when i was you know 22 and at this mm. point i was like 32 so um so anyway i um people were critiquing my work some of my friends that i had met at the newbury Art association were like oh these are really nice but they're they would describe them as illustrative and that started to become a dirty word to me because, not because I don't like illustration, I don't respect it, it was because I was trying to do something that was not, I wanted to be more of a fine artist. I didn't want my work to be read as illustrative. And it, so for me, it was, you know, by limitation, not intent. And that that was problematic for me. So it's really like you were, you were still, it, they were looking at your paintings and saying, hey, this is great what you used to do, the illustrative piece, but you wanted to move into fine art then. I did. I wanted to yeah. just kind of learn what it is that's differentiating my paintings from, you know, the landscape paintings that are getting into these shows. Like, what is what is the reason why? And for me, what it was, and I learned this when I started taking workshops and with some of the local artists here that paint landscapes, is that it was my color palette, it was my edges, and a lot of it was the detail, the superfluous detail that, you know, mm. as an illustrator, children love to look at that stuff and you know it works mm -hmm. in the illustration world my clients were like oh i want detail i want these socks to be this color with these stripes on them and i want this to be in there and this and that and they wanted everything they wanted all this detail um but what i didn't realize was to get to the point that you know my paintings were read as you know landscape like more serious art i don't even know how to describe it but what i wanted was not being achieved <laughs> so so yeah. i definitely needed i needed help and i have to add in at this point um i was a little bit delusional about the work that i was making because my husband and i we fight a lot about it he was like you know he would tell me that i needed to do this and that this was wrong with it and i was like no there's i don't need classes i don't need to take i don't need to learn anything else i have a bfa you know i don't know why i need to take more classes you know but that delusion was it was a defense mechanism because if i knew how bad my work was i probably would have quit mm. and, um so i just i thought it was so great and um you know, I think it was at the point where I just was getting rejected from the show. So it was like, I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't selling anything. And that's the point in which I decided I needed to sign up for class. And I'm really glad that I did. But that's a, that's a great point. I think we all reach a certain point in life where we realize that maybe we've had some sort of fixed mindset. I mean, what you're talking about reminds me of when I was a kid. 
I grew up and I had entered a lot of shows and I won a lot of ribbons and I walked away. And, and so I had this mindset that I was a great artist coming out of high school. You know, I taught painting, I had taught drawing classes and I had a great art, I was a great artist, right? That's That was what was ingrained in my brain. And then fast forward 10, 15, 20 years, I've got uh, married, I've got kids, I've got all this stuff going on and I hadn't drawn or painted for a long time. And I, when I, the first time I sat down to try and paint again, I looked down and I thought, this is horrible. What am I doing? I don't even know what I'm doing. And I ran into this conflict between this fixed mindset of who I was, great artist, and what I was, which was unpracticed. And it was a shocking, shocking revelation. You know, Kara DeWick in her, my, or in her book, uh, Mindset, she talks a lot about this idea between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And I was certainly in a fixed mindset. I had told myself I was a great artist. I had been told that I was a great artist for so many years, but I had done nothing about it for the better part of 10 to 15 years. And so the first time I put uh, paint to paper, I looked at it and thought, what's wrong with me? So I love what you're talking about, that there are these moments where we kind of wake up and say, okay, I probably need a little bit of help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely needed, I needed a whole overhaul of like my approach. Mm. You know, it was the fixed mindset where I was like, oh, well, this is it. Like I, I've known everything I need to know. That couldn't have been further from the truth. To be honest with you, I didn't even know how to paint. And I look, at, I look back at that and I feel like I was just starting to learn how to paint and um it was very humbling you know and so yeah I, mm. I definitely opened my mind up and i just kind of got into the growth mindset where you know these people have something to teach me and i have a lot to learn and i still have a lot to learn but you know i think having that mindset really changes everything it does because at this point i'm like i'm open-minded i'm open-minded to any sort of critiques that people might give me you know how can i make my work better um, by still staying true to myself, being authentic, not going and switching styles, switching approaches, you know, I just want to be the best artist, you know, and to be able to convey my message, you know, how I see the world in the most effective way to get, you know, the reaction that I'm looking for, you know, which is... I think, I think that's the goal of any artist, right, is you want to convey what's inside of you into a painting or into music, whatever your creative medium is, you want to take what's inside of you, put it out there and then have other people look at that and say, okay, yeah, we get you. But I, I remember a conversation, Hillary, you and I had a few months ago where I think we share a similar pet peeve. There, there is this pet peeve where someone looks at you and say, Oh, you're so talented. So talk a little bit about talent relative to what you're doing. Oh, yes. Um, I've been hearing it since I was three or four years old. You're so talented. Mm. You're so talented. It's just constant. Now, if this, if this was all about talent, I'd be making, I'd be making so much money, you know, wait, rewind like 20 years. When I, you know, went through my program and I had my bachelor of fine arts degree, I'd be making all the money, you know, at, at that point. It's not talent. I mean, you do need a basic level of you know, raw ability, I think, to do, you know, anything creative. Um, and so, yeah, so this is a lot of learned skill. And people always mm -hmm. say, they say, you're so talented, I can't even draw a stick figure. 
And I think that's bullshit because, I mean, maybe you're not going to be the best artist in the world, but yeah, you can learn because I learned so much. If you look at my work six or seven years ago and you compared it to my work now, that was all learned skill. That wasn't, I didn't get more talented over the last six years. I learned skills and I applied them to my work and I, you know, have a work ethic, a very strong work ethic, and I'm very motivated. You know, and some of these things you can't teach people. Like, they, if they're not motivated, you know, even if you teach them something that, and they don't have the work ethic and they're not going to put the time in, then no, they're not going to get better. So you need you right. need more than just talent. You need tenacity. You need just like the, you know, I'm unwilling to accept mediocrity. I just, I can't do it. It's like, I'm going to keep on working. And if the painting sucks, I'm just going to wipe the painting over and start again. And I'm going to do it as many times as I have to. And if the painting takes me three years to paint, so be it. Because, I'm, mm. you know, there's just a level of you know, my standards. I just can't go below them. So, and sometimes the painting just sucks and it's not going to work at all. And you have to accept that also. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And I think sometimes, I mean, I, I wonder how many times in life do we look at a painting? Do we look at uh, whatever it is, some sort of goal that we're working on in life and we just look at it and say, okay, that sucks, but we got to scrap it. We got to throw that aside. We got to start something new. Are there, are there works of art? Are there paintings that you have been working on and working on and working on? Finally, you say, you know what, as much as I would love to make this work, this is just not going to work. Totally. I can't even tell you how many times. And I think it's that willingness to accept the failure that helps you grow from that. And so, you know, I will give it a, you know, many attempts. I will try different attempts. Like, oh, you know, I will go back to the location. I'll go and, you know, get more information. I will try my best to make something work. But sometimes things just don't work. And after a certain number of attempts, you just have to say, you know, why is this, why did this fail? You have to learn why it failed or know why. Um, and just kind of apply that to your next painting. And I'm okay with, I have a pile that's like, I don't know, like two feet high probably of like failed paintings. And a lot of these are like, I failed at the time, you know, but then I have new skills that I, more, another, um, I don't know, like I've learned something since then. And so I apply my new knowledge and try to fix the painting and maybe just like revise the painting. But you know, it's not every painting is gonna work. And you have to be okay with that. If you're trying to fight, and not every painting is going to work at the at the skill level that you currently have, and that's okay. <clears throat> exactly. There are there are you know subjects that I want to tackle, but I know that at this point, you know, they're not comfortable subjects for me. And you know, it doesn't mean I'm not going to paint them. It's just that I can't expect to have a masterpiece from a subject that is not comfortable. And so I do try to get out of my comfort zone as much as possible. This summer has been the summer where I have been most consistent with plein air painting. So as a landscape painter, you know, I do prefer the studio. I like to have a lot of time to figure things out, but you're only going to get better if you're painting from life. And so mm. I do go out, you know, pretty consistently and I try to just, you know, capture what is right in front of me. It's nothing stays still the clouds move the light changes it's it's so hard but it's actually made me so much more comfortable in my studio what i bring from outdoors in you know you cannot replicate that any other way than just painting from life so so yeah i think um getting on your getting out of your comfort zone painting things that are not in your you know are like what you do usually is gonna only make you a better painter so can yeah, you be I, can you can we get a sliver of 
specificity when you say something doesn't work like just like a, a little insight into like what does that mean because uh, i'm trying to figure out i mean i obviously understand looking at a piece of work and saying this doesn't work regardless of the art um but i'm trying to figure out in painting just a little sliver of like what okay, well, you specifically example, mean when something doesn't work for example um you know i observe things all the time when i'm out i you know see the most gorgeous cloud formations like thunderheads you know those illuminated thunderheads that are late in the day so they're like they go from like a red orange yellow i think those are just the most spectacular thing and i just can't okay it. sometimes like my style okay. right now it's there's a lot of subtleties and nuances in the color schemes and so when i see something okay I capture exactly what it is like how i was moved by it and sometimes i don't have the skill to do that effectively um and so yeah, yeah. i have a painting that's sitting over here in the corner that i've tried so many times to do and at this point i just think i need more i need to get out there more and just get more information sometimes wow okay and, you know sometimes it's like the composition doesn't work and for whatever reason, it's just, I can't figure out the composition. Even if I have like the mood down, I fit it. ultimately if the composition doesn't work, your painting's gonna fail. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so yeah. yeah, that's those are a couple of reasons why something might not work. That's really interesting. It's, it's almost like this battle between what reality is, what you're seeing, and what you're trying to do. Yeah, there's a gap between like my skill yeah. there there's like I'm trying to bridge that gap eventually in my career and I say it all the time I'm like when I'm driving and I'm seeing something that's even, like even like a seascape like I don't paint moving water I, I it's very mm. very difficult for me so I would see it in person um and I would want to capture exactly what I see you know in a realistic format not like a fantasy format which is you know I could probably pull off a fantasy format but but to really capture it as I see it, um, I wouldn't be able to do that right now with certain subjects, you know? So okay. that's just yeah. that's something that I am putting, you know, on the table for like the future. Like I am not a master by any means. Sometimes I'm so like, people on Instagram will be like, oh, you're, you're a modern master. It's not true. I'm not a modern master. Like I see masters work on there all the time. I'm not one of them. And while I appreciate that, I am so much still like learning how to paint just Hmm. It's, I'm so at the beginning of this game. It's not even funny. And I just is, had this little fantasy of you sitting there talking to, you're sitting there, you're talking to Cezanne. You and Cezanne are having a conversation and you're telling him <laughs> how much of a master he is. And this is that. And Cezanne is sitting there going, that is shit. That is a piece of shit. The stuff that everybody loves about me is shit. <laughs> you're like, Paul, <laughs> shut up. That's Paul, right. make me. Yeah. <laughs> Rand, maybe. You know, Da Vinci, I, I do. Yeah. You know, and then there are, of course, the modern day masters that I truly masters, in my opinion, but they might dispute that. So I, I love what you're talking about, that a lot of the work and the effort that you put into this, it's not just talent. It's not just about sitting back and saying, I'm amazing at this. And mm -hmm. I think you, you, you said something just a minute ago where you say that the way you see, but I would almost maybe change that if I could to say the way you experience moving water, because a lot of art is the way we see it, but the way we experience things. And then how do you create a painting that feels the way you experienced it? Because it's not just about the sight, it's about the emotion. When I look at your paintings, Hillary, one of the things I've loved about following you for, I don't know how many years I've been following you is 
it evokes an emotion in me. And so there is an emotion, there's a feeling, not just a scene that's there. And that's a really difficult thing to capture. And I think that people may misunderstand how difficult that is, whether it's in music or painting or any other art form, that is so hard to capture. So talk a little bit about the work that you put into things to, to, to make it come across the way you want it to. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, so I'm trying to just, I don't know, bring just the mood, the feeling that I got when I was there. And I'm trying to bring that to the mm. painting. And it's not, you're absolutely right. It's not just what you see. It's you want to feel the air quality. Like, you know, some people like they'll comment, oh, you know, I can feel the humidity in the air. I can feel how hazy it is. I can feel the time of year. I can smell what the air is like. I mean, there's a painter named Scott Pryor, who I absolutely love. He paints these scenes and they're not always like idyllic scenes. Like, you know, like he'll paint things that you, or that you can relate to sometimes. Like it'll just be, I don't know, like a backyard, there'll be like a picnic table there and you know it's in the woods mm. fall and honestly i can smell like the fire like that smell of the fall you know when the people are like burning stuff um it's just mm -hmm. i i don't know how to describe it but i can just feel the air how it's cool and crisp and then some of the paintings i can totally feel the haziness and you can just smell the air or if it's like a spring painting you can smell what it's like it just it, it's like involves all of your senses and um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to say I'm there yet. That's, I'm, I'm inspired by all these painters for, you know, being able to achieve that, but I definitely feel like, you know, I'm starting to get there a little bit is, you know, I'm trying to cutting out the detail. Like the detail doesn't achieve that. It's, you know, that's what the one thing I had to really get over when I was an illustrator is like all the detail just clutters up your painting. You really have to focus on what, where, like, where is your main focus? What do you want people to feel when they look at this painting and make the whole painting about that? Um, a lot of it's yeah. like for me, you know, it's that golden hour. It's just that fleeting light, um, you know, it just kind of breaks across the grass and it's just like, you know, the sun's getting, going down and I, I don't know. And sometimes, a lot of times I love to capture that shimmer on the water. It's like a sparkle. Like it's just, mm -hmm. you can just feel like that um, dappled sunlight, you know, with the trees, it's kind of filtering through and it's just, I don't know, it gives me a feeling of peace and serenity. So I guess when I, the thing that I get most when people look at my work is they say it's so peaceful, it's just calming to them. And a lot of the collectors that have bought my work say that's why they buy the paintings because you know, it reminds them of a place. And that's another one of my goals is like, like a nostalgic type of feeling, you know, it's like, you feel like you've been there at some point, you know, brings a memory up of something from your childhood or, you know, a vacation that you took or just something like that. And, um, you know, the paintings that I'm drawn to, that's the feeling that I get is the feeling of nostalgia. Yeah. And, and I think in addition to the feeling, you mentioned smell a few different uh, times there. And when we talk about, uh, I, I had done some study one time in a class that I was taking in college where uh, the power of scent and how it imprints on our brain in a different way. And when we really experience certain things in life, there is a smell to them. There's a scent to them. I think about when I was a kid, you know, walking into my uh, parents' bedroom and into the bathroom to ask my dad a question or whatever, when he would give me a hug, I, I still to this day can smell the old spice that he would put on after he shaved. I mean, scent is one of the most powerful uh, memory triggers and it imprints on us in a different way. And I think that when your art, when what you create, creates a 
memory or a trigger of not just this emotion, but their scent involved in it, um, you, you know, you've arrived. And, and I've got to tell you, I mean, I know you keep saying that you're not a master, that you haven't mastered this, and I can appreciate that as one artist to another. Uh, mine is maybe a small A on the artist, and yours is maybe a capital A, but I do sense and feel and smell when I'm looking at some of the works that you put out there. It just is really magical in the emotion that it uh, evokes. Well, that means a lot. I'm happy to hear that because I, you know, sometimes I'm too close to the work, like, so I can't really view it the way my my collectors view it or my, you know, my followers. It's, it's like I am not objective so i'm just too immersed in it and and there were times where i'm like you know everyone's like you gotta have a style you know you gotta be consistent and i i mean there are times where i'm like i don't know do i have a style like i guess i have a style but i just i can't see it the way you guys can see it so i do love yeah. hearing that yeah. feedback even if it's not positive sometimes people might you know give me a critique and if i'm asking you know one of my instructors how can i make my work better and i'm open to that also you know, because ultimately we're in here to just be, get better at what we do. And you're not going to get better yeah. if people don't give you constructive feedback. Right, right. And sometimes that can be difficult. So Hillary, I, I, we're coming up on our time and we really appreciate you not only uh, doing the podcast, but doing take two of the podcast. But I want to make sure we run through, we've uh, started something recently where we do some rapid fire questions for for our listeners. And I'd like to run through a few rapid fire questions. So kind of the, the way that we set this up is either one word or one sentence or phrase uh, that captures the answer to this rapid fire question. So uh, are you ready to go? Ready. All right. So let's talk about disruption. How do you disrupt your life or your art to spark new growth? I just do something that's totally out of my comfort zone. Something that's just so uncomfortable for me that I'm like, this is going to suck and I'm going to fail. I love that. Uh, how do you feel like you've evolved over the years? Um, I just feel like, the, you know, I have always been creative and I just, my view as long, you know, the longer I'm alive, I feel like I see the world differently. And so I'm just trying to capture my, this is a personal journey. So I'm just trying to capture what I, where I am currently at and what speaks to me in my daily life. I love that. That's great. It's about being in the moment. Uh, so as you've evolved, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? God, these are good questions. I, <laughs> I have to think about that. Um, That's a I tough one, isn't it? You don't. You don't need approval from people to do. You know, I, I always used to feel like, oh, I need some approval from people to like for what I'm doing. And at this point, I don't feel like I need that. You know, and, you know, I'm following my heart. I'm doing what I want. And you know, I had a lot of pushback. I think, um, you know, like, oh God, good luck to you. You're gonna do art and. Um, you know, and I guess that's where I'm at at this age. I just don't, I don't give a shit what people think of what I'm doing. That is amazing. You don't give a shit about what people think. I think about Mark Manson's book, The Settle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And uh, how many of us have evolved to that point? That's beautiful. Uh, last question uh, Are there habits, rituals, or routines that you use to constantly progress? Yeah, I just, 
I try to mix up, you know, painting things that are comfortable for me and then going out, just like I said, plein air and just, I have to be honest, sometimes I'm looking for reason not to go out and paint plein air. It's too hot out, you know, it's, it's too busy today. And to be honest, it's like, that's, you know, those excuses don't hold up. You know, I, I do, I make myself go outside and haul my shit everywhere and, you know, paint what's in front of me. And it's, it's, you know, not easy, but I do it. So I guess, yeah, just doing things that I don't want to do. Writing That's awesome. I don't like to, I, I'm not a writer. Like I, I'm a visual person. So painting is much more comfortable for me, but I know that everyone's like, you got to, you know, kind of connect with your subscribers. And so I do, I make myself sit down and write and I it's not comfortable for me. So it's awesome. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a point where uh, in the Chappelle show, Dave uh, had uh, part of the Wu-Tang Clan, which one of my favorite bands of all time, comes in and says, you've got to diversify your bonds. And that's really what this is about, right? Diversify what you do, because yeah. that's a big part of what uh, helps you to evolve. Yeah, wonderful. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve Podcast. I want to thank our guest, uh, Hillary Scott, times two, uh, because she's been on before. We just lost that episode uh, for joining us. And my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Uh, we've had a great conversation today, and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. So, Hillary, what's the best ways for people to follow your uh, beautiful artwork and uh, continue to see your evolution? I post most of, probably I post most regularly on Instagram, and my know handle is hillary scott um, underscore fine art and um and also my if you want to subscribe to my newsletter which i don't send out as much as i should but <laughs> it's um my website is hillary ScottStudios.com. Right. That's awesome. And uh, guys, if you are not following Hillary on Instagram, I would highly recommend it. You will be inspired just by looking at uh, uh, one of her paintings, let alone all the beautiful paintings that she has on there. Uh, so thanks, Hillary, for joining us today. And hey, uh, do me a favor, folks. Will you uh, don't wait? Go smash the stars or the ratings on whatever app you're listening to us on. Uh, your ratings help us to book even more amazing guests like Hillary on the podcast. Uh, Miles, you're looking especially dapper this morning with our Real Men Meditate t-shirt, but uh, I know we've got a focus for the month. What, uh, what, what are you promoting today? Well, that focus is the Evolve Your Soul t-shirt. That's our focus. Um, folks, get on over to the shop, pick up and evolve your soul. Our souls are always evolving. Sometimes they have to devolve to evolve. So we go through a lot that deals with our soul and spirit. So we are highlighting that T-shirt this month. So get on over, pick up an Evolve Your Soul T-shirt at the shop. Great. And remember, guys, it takes time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have mm -hmm. to disrupt in order to evolve your mind, evolve your body, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. You are fantastic, but now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. <laughs>